All right, what is up, you guys? Welcome to the Abstract Audio Podcast. I'm your host, Derek. We will be covering a range of topics on today's episode, from ranging from Mexico fans causing a artificial earthquake in celebration, um, SZA announcing that her vocals are not permanently damaged, and Kanye being accused yet again of copying another artist's work, another photographer's work in this case. And uh, lastly, we will be discussing, is it possible to catch up on lost sleep? So, uh, but before all of that, we have shocking and tragic news that uh, rapper Tentacion has been killed in Florida. So, I mean, I'm, I'm in shock still. I just read this right before the podcast, and um, the official police report reading, investigators have confirmed that the adult male victim is Jase Onfroy, aka rapper Tentacion of Parkland, Florida. BSO homicide detective said the 20-year-old victim was leaving Riva Motorsports in Deerfield Beach shortly before 4 p.m. when he was approached by two armed suspects. At least one of the suspects fired a gun striking on Freud. Uh, both of the suspects fled in a dark-colored SUV. Investigators say it appears to be a possible robbery. On Freud was transported to Broward Health North, where he was pronounced dead. The investigation continues. Anyone with information is urged to contact BSO homicide detectives Wait, Walt Foster or John Curcio at 954-321-4210 or Broward Crime Stoppers anonymously at 954-493-TIPS. So, um, and a bit like, uh, so I was just going on Twitter and I thought it was well summed up by, um, username vsex. He said, uh, where there's life, there's hope. And Tentacion was really bettering himself and his fans with his turn to positivity only to have it cut short. No one deserves this man. Prayers to his loved ones and those heavily affected. Rest in peace, young king. So, damn man, I, I don't know. Um, Life is such a fickle thing. It's just, uh, it can be so beautiful in one moment and then tragic in the next. And, um, and money doesn't make a difference, you know, your, your, uh, your income, all of that shit, it's irrelevant. And, and in this case, I was just, these are some random thoughts. I mean, I barely had time to process this shit, but, um, so kind of thinking out loud with you guys, but, uh, you know, had he not been wealthy or had this fame, you know, if it is a robbery, like they're suspecting, um, he wouldn't have been targeted. So it's again, it's this weird fucking thing where I don't know, man. I mean, as a young male in his mid 20s, I'm still sitting here trying to process uh, just what life is and why it is the way it is. And I don't know, man. Um, as my thoughts develop, if, if I feel the need to, I'll comment on it on uh on the upcoming episode or upcoming episodes, however long it takes. But, um, yeah, uh, just thoughts and prayers to those affected, to his loved ones and to his fans. I mean, he really made music that, uh, that helped a lot of people and talked about a lot of dark subject matter. And, um, and for that reason, I really, you know, my prayers are to his fans because uh, this this will be a heavy loss for them. I mean, as it is for the world, but um, I think it will be particularly hard on them. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, where the fuck do you go from there? Um, we do. I guess we'll get right into it. We have a similar story. Uh, that, well, that could have ended similarly. Um, but fortunately, it has not. We have Rich the Kid being hospitalized over the weekend. Um, in a home invasion. So TMZ reports that Rich the Kid has been hospitalized following a home invasion. The rapper was robbed at gunpoint in the Los Angeles home of his girlfriend, sustaining injuries from a series of beatings. 
The, robber, the robbers made away with a substantial amount of cash and jewelry. While Rich the Kid was sent to the hospital, confirmed by an Instagram post by the rapper himself. Um, it has been a tumultuous year, to say the least, for Rich the Kid. The celebratory nature of his long-awaited album, The World Is Yours, was subsequently marred by accusations of domestic abuse and violence by his estranged wife. So, um, I don't know, man. Uh, these rappers, they just need to, these young, young, wealthy men need to start moving differently. You know, um, I know there's a stigma around moving with too much security. Is it seen as pussy, whatever. Uh, but your life is worth more than any accusations or name calling. Fuck that shit, man. Fuck street cred. Fuck all that. You're making something of yourself. You have a promising future. You're making, you know, you're creating this life around you, manifesting all of this shit and giving your friends and your family a better life in the process. So fuck any accusations. If, if you have to start moving with security, do so. And uh, this is really tragic in particular because, uh, you know, it's it's been seen before. I mean, when you think uh, of just recently, um, Lil Uzi Vert approaching Rich the Kid and I believe chasing him down infamously behind uh, a coffee shop counter or whatever the fuck, right? And um, yeah, he just needs to start moving different, man get a better, uh, just a better team entirely, because, uh, it's just, you, you need to secure, that's, it's essentially life insurance, right, like, you need to, and then who's to say, maybe in, uh, XX's situation, it could have wound up differently, had he been moving differently, um, these young dudes have a price on their head, man, and especially in LA in particular, um, you know, there's, with such a range of poverty and wealth whenever those coexist you're going to have a lot of robbery and uh and and it, apparently it's part of the culture i mean we've heard yg obviously being from la a lot of his art has talked about home invasion and how that's part of the culture so yeah it's it's apparent and and just when you think of it you know it's rather simple you just think of all the wealth that's in that area not far from where the poverty is it oftentimes just a fucking block away and you think you're safe like fuck no um so uh, yeah these, these dudes need to start moving different and i believe it was the game that mentioned uh that that it could have been an inside job and likely was enrich the kid's situation because uh otherwise how would they have known his exact location at that exact time you know um and I would hate to accuse the his girlfriend of of being a part of it, but um, you you can never be too cautious, man. So I hope going forward we see Rich the Kid moving different, moving smarter, and uh, just valuing his life more. You know, cause this shit, it, it is random occurrences. It could have just as likely not happened, but it did, and and you're still here, so that's a lesson, right? So now learn from it and move forward intelligently. With that being said, before we get into the next story, I wanted to remind you guys the Nasir album review will be coming on the next episode, as you can likely tell from the title and the lack of it being in the intro. Um, but man, goddamn, there's so much fucking music out right now. I mean, you have the Nasir album. It's very dense, very lyrical, and I like that, but we'll get into that next episode. But then you have the Jay and Beyonce, a.k.a. the Carters, a.k.a. fuck up your release weekend, Nas, right? And then you have fucking uh, Georgia Smith with her fucking gorgeous ass, her angelic ass voice. And I know that that's not for everyone, but I fuck with it. I'm interested in listening to the project. Um, I've been anticipating it. Also, DJ DS, I believe is the name of the group or individual uh, I've been wanting to check out their most recent project. Fuck, um, Juice World. Fucking Juice World is phenomenal. Lucid Dreams is everything right now. That shit is, yeah, probably my favorite song at the moment. And, um, and it'll be on this weekend's, or, or this week's playlist. But, 
Uh, and this week will kind of finally be me getting to uh, make a playlist for you guys that is kind of everything I've been listening to. Because, right, like the past playlist was um, the Yeezy, or the Yeezy, the fucking uh, Wayne playlist to celebrate him being free from the contract. Then the uh, Drake versus Pusha T playlist, kind of commemorating the uh, the moment in hip hop. And uh, so this weekend will, or this week will finally be um, just essentially what I've been listening to. But man, like fucking, so Juice World. And then you figure, I still want to listen to Kid See Ghost. That project is phenomenal. Um, and J-Rock. J-Rock with another album. And normally I would be anticipating the fuck out of it. But it's kind of been lost in the fray. Because there's so much shit, man. Um, it's it's an amazing time for music. It really is. Uh, but it can be overwhelming for a fan that likes to sit and digest the music and live with it. It really does all of these projects, you know, kind of cater to streaming. And um, and just, you know, a generation that listens to the project the same night it comes out, posts by, you know, when, when they're done listening to the project, the first time they post on Twitter or Instagram, whatever, their thoughts, if it was a classic or if it was trash, and uh, and then they kind of go on to either the next project or they go back to a couple, like a rotation that they've been listening to. So I don't know, man. It's fucking overwhelming, bro. Um, but beautiful nonetheless. I guess it's better to have more than than not enough of, right? So uh, with that being said, I just wanted to remind you guys the Nazir uh, album review is coming. So now let's get into our next story, uh, touching on video game addiction uh, for the second episode in a row. So video game addiction to be classified as health condition by World Health Organization. So the World Health Organization has announced plans to officially designate video game addiction as a disease. A first draft of the organization's international classification of diseases, a list of officially of officially recognized medical conditions will feature an entry for gaming disorder. The news comes less than a week after a nine-year-old girl was sent to rehab for her Fortnite addiction. Uh, it is hoped that the decision will help gamers seek treatment, as well as encouraging therapists to offer help and insurance companies to cover it. The World Health Organization's classification is expected to be formally adopted next year, although figures within the gaming industry have voiced their disagreement with the decision. Some criticism has described the classification as deeply flawed, while also highlighting the positives of video gaming, um, particularly the educational, therapeutic, and recreational value. So I agree with that. I agree that it, um, mainly on, in that it's therapeutic. It's so easy to get lost in a video game and uh, just kind of escape, right? But uh, just as with anything that will allow you to escape, it can be abused and often is abused relatively quickly once you're introduced to it, right? So, uh, I don't know, man. I think it's definitely, it, it definitely needs to be addressed. Um, video game, it sounds so crazy because, yo, my, my fucking 10-year-old self would hate me right now. Be like, fuck this old motherfucker talking about, <laughs> talking about video gaming addiction. Suck a dick, motherfucker. No, uh, for sure, I didn't talk like that when I was 10, but um, I don't know, man. I mean, it really, again, kind of, it, it integrates, like, you need good parenting as well. And I think that will negate a lot of the addiction, you know, as as in the uh, story, what, just last episode of the little girl, the nine-year-old, who was so addicted, she was, you know, acting out towards her parents and it got to the extent that she pissed on herself while she was playing because she was just like, fuck this. I need to fucking build these forts, motherfucker. I need to get this golden gun, whatever the fuck, whatever you do in Fortnite, right? That was more important. So she was just like, fuck it. I'm going to piss right here. What is a bathroom, you know? And uh, and that's that's insane, man. That, that really is a mental disorder and uh, an addiction in the purest sense. So I think uh, good parenting and setting limits 
will really help. So just passive parenting, I think, is a huge aid in the disorder and the addiction. And um, and that is not really being discussed. But um, for those that can't parent their kids, that do allow them to grow addicted to these video games and just to, you know, for it to fuck with their lives and just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is good. We'll have to see how it's implemented. I mean, the numbers of people that are quote unquote addicted, I'm sure will be astronomical, but, um, yeah, I mean, good parenting, man. I, it can go a long way. So, uh, we'll have to see how that develops. It is interesting for sure. Um, and now still in tech news, we have the boring company sharing, uh, a Tesla model X test run video. So, uh, if you guys have checked it out, it's a, 11 second video on YouTube. Um, I believe it's under the boring company, uh, name and, and the uh, title of the video is model X test run. If you guys want to check it out uh, again, just 11 seconds, it just shows the car essentially going through the tunnel. And, uh, is it just me? Well, hold on. We'll get into this. Uh, so back in May, Elon Musk announced the Boring Company's underground LA tunnel was almost done, and just recently, the infrastructure imprint gave a preview of its tunnel transit platform in action. In a short clip uploaded to YouTube, the Boring Company shows a test run of a Tesla Model X car zoomed through a tunnel, offering a look at how the futuristic underground system will work. The Boring Company's Model X test run might look slightly slower than what one would expect from a SpaceX-related company, but the alternative transit system will alleviate traffic congestion from traditional driving roads by transporting cars and pods containing pedestrians and cyclists to and from mini stations. I think it's a brilliant idea, um, and it's fucking phenomenal and inspirational to see Elon not only discussing these brilliant ideas, these society altering ideas, society potentially society improving ideas, um, but then implementing them, you know, putting into action what he's talking about. And we it's really we haven't really seen anything like this. You know, just a brilliant mind that discusses an idea publicly and then goes and fucking does it. Um it's, it's phenomenal, man. The times that we're living in truly is fucking crazy. Um, but is it just me? This shit looks, I got, I got anxiety just watching the video, bro. This shit looks so fucking like, I don't know. It's cringy how claustrophobic, like how claustrophobic it makes me that fucking the car barely fits in that shit. And it's not even going that fast. I could imagine going at like the fucking light speed they showed in the previous video. I don't fucking know, man. I mean, I say that now. But watch, like, people will listen back on this or, you know, people will voice that opinion and people will, what, 10 years from now, not even 10 years, that'll be a, a standard mode of transportation and it'll be like, what the fuck? You used to be scared of this shit going fucking 100 miles per hour in a little fucking tube. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing how we adapt and, and I'm confident we will adapt to this, but for right now, it's, it's fucking anxiety-inducing. So now in hilariously bizarre news we have mexico fans causing an artificial earthquake after world cup goal um so a small earthquake yeah and i'm not shitting you man this this blew my mind i don't even watch soccer like that i appreciate how much the fans fuck with it and this story is a testament to that but um i, I didn't fucking believe it I, I came across this on twitter and i was like what the fuck uh, so a small earthquake was detected in Mexico City on Sunday after star player Herving Lozano uh, scored a surprise victory goal against defending champions Germany during the 2018 FIFA World Cup, causing Mexican fans to jump in celebration. The Institute of Geological and Atmospheric Investigations said that the earthquake sensors registered tremors at two sites in Mexico City seven seconds after the game's 35th minute, the exact minute Lozano scored the winning goal. Uh, Simsa said that the artificial earthquake was possibly because of mass jumping. So, uh, and they have photos of the seismograph and all of that shit. 
And it's just fucking crazy, man. Uh, again, a testament to the fans and uh, of just soccer in general, but also the Mexican fans and how much they love their fucking soccer. It's admirable, man. I don't think I've ever loved anything as much as Mexican fans love soccer, and that's commendable. So now in savage news, uh, California Beer Company releases new brew called LeBron's Tears. So, ouch, after taking, after, talk about kicking someone when they're down. The Warriors swept the Cavaliers uh, 4-0 in the 2018 NBA Finals to continue their reign as the NBA champs and hand LeBron James another final series loss. Uh, so, what's better, so what better way for Golden State fans to celebrate the Warriors championship? How about a beer called LeBron's Tears? A San Francisco brew- brewery trotted out their latest concoction made with the finest James Tears from the Cavs' heartbreaking loss in Game 1, according to them. So first off, how the fuck, Game 1's loss, you know, if there were any tears caused, it was because of J.R. Smith, right? So fuck them for taking credit, but I'll give them a pass, because this shit is hilarious. So uh, Warriors fans will certainly be chugging this new drink as they savor the series win. As for James, he'll be pondering his next move should he leave Cle- should he leave Cleveland. Um, so I don't know, just a bit of lighthearted fun. What the fuck news? Uh, I thought that shit was hilarious, and uh, that is fucking LeBron's tears, bro. The LeBron the LeBron's tears brew. That's fucking hilarious. Um, now getting into a bit of sneaker news. We have Kendrick Lamar's Nike Cortez Kenny 3 getting a wider release. So uh, for, so anyone that missed it, here's your second chance. So Kendrick Lamar's Nike Cortez Kenny 3 sold out in under a minute for its first official release. If you didn't get your hands on a pair back then, you're in luck. The Kendrick Lamar and Nike sneaker is getting a wider release via sneakers on June 22nd. And if you guys are unaware... Uh, you probably don't give a fuck, but if you're unaware, the sneakers uh, sneakers is Nike's app, and it's available on the App Store. It's uh, S N K R S, and that's where it it really streamlines the process. Um, you know, you just sign up, you fucking look, you know, you get on it at a given time when a shoe releases, and then you select your size. You already have your payment information entered. And then it just notifies you later if you got the shoe or if you, you know, took an L. And uh, some have some have said it's, yeah, the most streamlined process for taking an L yet. And uh, that's that's mostly been my experience. So, uh, but actually, shout out to Sneakers. They they got me the uh, Sean Witherspoons, and that was dope it, just because I voted on it last year. So if you guys are into Sneakers, and uh, I, I recommend you vote on the, uh, what is it called, like the Air Max Day sneaker or whatever, it's the competition that Nike has annually now, where they have creators from all over create these hybrid sneakers, design the sneaker entirely, uh, for the most part, they have, it seems like they have pretty free range over the design of the sneaker, and then you get to vote on it, and I believe that voting is still going on, so just be mindful that if you vote this year, and it's a sneaker, you know, the sneaker you vote on gets chosen. Next year, you may get a chance to purchase it just because you voted on it this year. And that was the uh, the case with the Sean Wotherspoons for, for myself. Uh, so that was dope. So shout out to Nike for that. Um, but the coveted TDE sneaker boasts a predominantly black color scheme with a suede and nylon upper. While leather swoosh, inner lining, and heel tabs give some nice contrast, while red bedded back ribbon detailing and embroidered dam in Chinese characters on the toe area add the signature Kung Fu Kenny touch. Once again, the Kendrick Lamar Nike Cortez Kenny 3 will release via Nike sneakers on June 22nd for a retail price of $100. US Relatively affordable, and I appreciate that. That reminds me of when KD uh, first came out with his Nike shoe and really focused on bringing the price down. Mind you, it is a Cortez, so you don't have that much free reign to jack up the price. So, I mean, it is dope that it's 100 but, uh, they, you know, let's be real. Nike couldn't really go that much higher because uh, although it is Kendrick, you know, very um, phenomenal artist, it, you know, his fashion sense is debatable, or rather his fashion influence is definitely debatable, and uh and and with it being a Cortez, an older sneaker model, 
it's you really can't go too high on that price um especially with pretty average materials but uh i i mentioned this i'm not that interested in it this doesn't get me that excited but um i've been thinking about it because i've bashed the sneaker quite a bit in previous episodes and just when when it's uh been brought up in conversation and uh and although i don't care too much for the nike cortez model this is i have to admit i was recently thinking about it and this is huge for kendrick to not only collaborate collaborate with nike but to collaborate with nike on his own signature snoop on his on his own fucking signature shoe and uh and for that shoe to be such a huge shoe for his area where he grew up and for la in general that in itself is commendable and it's something worth celebrating so i wanted to make mention of this and it it is dope and the bet it back i like that on the tongue it's just kind of like random inspirational shit that i fuck with because you look down every time you put them on you see that shit and you're like oh yeah maybe you'll get a little inspiration and that's dope in itself so um sticking in tde news we have SZA revealing that her voice is not permanently damaged. So was it a publicity stunt? I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. But this is good news regardless. Um, so after news that her voice was permanently injured and the promise of the best doctors from TDE, SZA has now announced that her voice is perm- her voice is has now announced that her voice is it says is permanently damaged in this. In this article, I think that's for sure a typo, is not permanently damaged. Uh, Tweeting about the news, the artist, I already fuck up reading, period. So for the editor to fuck up, (laughs) it's not doing me any favors, trust. Um, So yeah, her voice is not permanently damaged. Tweeting about the news, the artist revealed that an incredible team of doctors and vocal technicians had been working uh, to help her vocal cords recover over recent weeks. And... As well as thanks, as well as thanking medical professionals for their help, SZA also tweeted her thanks to everyone who had wished her a quick recovery and announced that she has been working daily to get back slowly but surely. Uh, SZA celebrated the news with the appearance with an appearance at the Firefly Festival in Delaware. You can read her tweets about the news below and keep an eye out for tour dates in the future. So uh, she says. Firstly, I want to thank everyone for sending me love or for sending me loving kindness and extending your energy my direction. Uh, thank you for your prayers. I feel them. I feel them and deeply appreciate you. I love you. Uh, and then she goes on. Thank you to the incredible team of doctors and vocal technicians that have taken time to see me over the last few weeks in every city. I'm blessed to say my voice is not permanently damaged and I've been working daily to get back slowly but surely. And then she goes on with her most recent tweet. Today we give it a go and hit the stage at Firefly. See you at 8. Um, so this is dope, man. The news really was devastating that her vocal cords might be permanently damaged. Because when that's your livelihood, and even more than your livelihood, the way that you make your income. Um, obviously, she is such a talent in our time. Such a unique voice and such a beautiful voice. But also, as an artist... When that's your thing, I mean, what what would she start rapping? I mean, maybe that would be an option, but uh, you know, when when you have, when your voice is essentially silenced, you find yourself through your art, you know, and so for her to, even imagine, that that avenue of self exploration and self expression period, was going to be cut off, that shit is fucking devastating and depressing news. So uh, to hear this is beautiful, uh, good news on a dark day, and so um, yeah, good fucking good to hear. I'm anxious to hear new music from SZA. I think she's a phenomenal talent. I I love her music. I'm a huge fan of hers. So uh, now getting into a bit more salacious and controversial news, we have uh, Diet Prada. Yet again, the return of Diet Prada, that being the Instagram account that calls out designers for uh, for copying other work, right? Um, they That account has recently called out Kanye in his Supermoon campaign that we just recently discussed uh, on a previous episode. So, K- 
Kanye West is under fire again for copying someone else's work, according to Diet Prada. The first time West was accused of copying, the first time West was accused of copying ex-designer Tony Speckman's sketches, but West later clarified that the new Yeezy employee actually presented him the the copied material. West then fired the employee and praised Speckman, or Spackman, for his actual work. Um, recently, however, West and his Adidas shoe line just came out with the Supermoon image campaign for his Yeezy 500 Supermoon yellow kicks. The image selections starring the Claremont twins and other notable influencers were photographed by Donna collaborator and artist Eli Russell Lynette. Uh, the subjects were captured in different body positions, wearing Yeezy gear and the new Supermoon yellow sneakers. Some images were not safe for work. Uh, in a new copy call-out by Diet Prada, it looks like Lynette's work bears too close a similarity to another artist's work. In 2015, artist Rita Minissi uh, released a series of photographs that, according to Diet Prada, was inspired by dealing with personal trauma and a resulting desire to reconnect with her own body. Her images also add to uh, her images also had her subjects in body positions where individuals are either naked or clothed hugging, bending over, upside down, uh, contorted, etc. Needless to say, Minissi's 2015 photos look way too similar to Lynette's work for the Supermoon campaign. Diet Prada is calling out Kanye to own up to this copy once again. If some can also recall, Wes did say something about originality and taking ideas and updating them because all great artists take and update. Uh, so... I don't know, the actual statement that Diet Prada makes is, Another day, another Kanye rip. This, uh, the just-released Yeezy Season 6 campaign lensed by, uh, what is it, Ellie Russell, Ellie Russell Nets bears a striking similarity to this 2015 series by the previous artist. It has their Instagram name, so it's fucking throwing me off because it's just a jumble of letters. So, uh, it's pretty messed up. When you consider the original work by Rita Minissi explores identity and was inspired by dealing with personal trauma and a resulting desire to reconnect with her own body. Will Kanye own up to it this time or will he be blaming others like he did with the Tony Spackman sketch not so long ago? LOL. Um, so I don't know, man. I. So and then they, they featured the Kanye tweet as well. The, this is from April 18th. He said, uh, too much emphasis is put on originality. Feel free to take ideas and update them at your will. All great artists take an update. I don't think this was the case here. Um, it would seem it's very shallow if that were the case. And if Kanye justified this because, you know, for it to be such a heartfelt purpose behind the initial expression of the photos, the original photos, and then for Kanye to copy it with naked bitches and fucking just to sell sneakers, right? That seems pretty fucking shallow. Um, I don't know, man, because to say that he's just going to put the blame on someone else, I don't think is fair either, though, because what's his fucking name? Eli, Eli Russell Lynette is clearly the one, the artist taking the photos. This is his work. It's essentially contracted by Ye. It's not like Ye. I, I wouldn't imagine it's like Ye sitting there saying, yeah, copy this shit or do this because I saw this, you know, back then. So try and make it look like this whatever i think it's more it really is more of a responsibility of eli russell lynette's especially even if kanye told him okay copy this shit he knows his name is on the work right he's the one doing the photography not yay so it's it's easy to say oh kanye's just gonna put the blame on someone else i really don't think it's kanye's fault i think he's too busy to oversee this shit maybe it gets sent to him for approval and he's just like oh yeah i like that that's dope but then it seems like it's just lazy artists around Kanye that you know they're familiar with the previous work they take it and copy it give it to Ye he's uninformed on the previous work so he approves it and I really think if he knew he wouldn't have approved it so we'll see I'm, I'm sure he'll address it in the coming days um regardless I don't think it's something that he meant for uh and and it's not his fault I don't think so now staying in somewhat controversial news we have Virgil Abloh addressing unoriginality claims on his IKEA collab. So over the course of 
a year since Virgil Abloh and Ikea announced their partnership, we saw many leaks and teasers of their upcoming collaboration, named Marker Ad. The, the collection consists of furniture, rugs, and smaller accessories, some still in prototype phase. At IKEA's 2018 Democratic Design Day, which took place in Almholt, Sweden, last week, Ablo took a break from prepping his first Louis Vuitton presentation to stop by and make final tweaks on his furniture designs. Hypebeast got an exclusive peek behind the meeting process and spoke to Ablo on his latest project with IKEA. Creative leader Henrik, Mo- Henrik Most and product developer Xander Spree, who worked on the collection together, also chime in on working with Virgil. So the wet grass, receipt rug, and distortion mirror were revealed here for the very first time. It seems like these products have a deeper meaning than ones that were revealed before. Virgil responds, Everything I do has a deeper meaning. It follows my philosophy of finding balance between a tourist and a purist. There are people who live and breathe and study design, furniture, graphic design, and fashion. And there's people that just enjoy it. I like to make things that fall in the space for both. So on the surface level, there's an allure or a reason to look at it, but there has to be something on a deeper level. When I use quotes, it's challenging convention. What's a chair or what's a rug, display case, bed? It's me using irony in a specific way. It's my voice, a way to distinguish a repeated product without putting my name on it. It lets a viewer reanalyze or question the fact. Is a rug a rug? Is a bag a sculpture? It allows me to rewire and remessage and consistently find me in my work. Um, Henrik Most then adds, Virgil said, I'd like to create a piece that you can use as both a runner on the floor and also hang on the wall as artwork. The funny thing is, when you look at the when you look on the price on the receipt rug, it's a fictive it's a fictive price because that item doesn't exist yet, but it will be the actual price. That's typical Virgil to build in these small secrets, to build in these small secrets and humorous twists. Uh, so how does IKEA align with your design ethos? Virgil responds, IKEA is the best in class. The collaborators I work with are rooted in a long-standing idea. IKEA has a long-standing history, and my design aesthetic is taking that history and joining it with contemporary culture for a young generation that is looking for something interesting. That is what that is what I possess as a designer. I'm inspired by how IKEA thinks about not only making a product, but also how they actually construct, ship, and deliver, all of which is something to learn from. That's what a collaboration is meant to do, to challenge. Uh, then They then ask, what does democratic design mean to you? Virgil responds, it's a, very, it's a different criteria of responsibility that we all have as those on Earth. Uh, to populate Earth with more things, what I learned at IKEA is that democratic design is a way to approach how we put new products into the world from uh, from an ideological environmental and ecological standpoint uh they then ask are there any design compromises you had to make because of feasibility with mass production henrik most then responds virgil has extremely clear ideas about what he wants from the beginning but he's open to adapting his idea so they're feasible for production. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to make them. Uh, it's, always, it's always easy to make a one-off chair, but getting this prototype to a line of industrial production is a totally different challenge. Virgil has been super flexible and open about learning IKEA's production or product development, how we make it happen. Xander Spree then adds, We are still in the development phase. For the table, we are still trying, but we are not completely there yet. It's interesting when someone from outside IKEA who doesn't know our limitations brings something that customers haven't already seen. Virgil is dead set to have specifically round edges on this table, so we need to find solutions on how to create that. Virgil then adds, I focused on understanding the relationship between the design idea and the process of manufacturing. Just because you think of a chair and material doesn't mean it's possible. It needs many layers of feasibility from IKEA's end, adjusting a new idea into their system to work. Uh, They ask, your table, chair, and daybed are very simple, basic pieces of furniture. What do you want to say to people who might think it's unoriginal? Virgil responds, 
a small percentage of the population recognize design. Uh, something we've been saying in the studio is that you only really notice a door handle when it's broke. You don't consider the shape or how it's made or where it's designed or bought. Me, as someone who transitions from eight years of higher education in engineering and architecture, notice that I have a unique position to educate and share knowledge about design. That's what this whole collection is rooted in. For instance, the chair comes from the 1800s. It's an anonymous design made from a way of woodworking that has evolved to designers taking inspiration from that and doing versions of it. A pin stool is from Amish culture, Swedish culture. That's the lineage. I love the association to think about the origin. Uh, I like having people research. I'm glad that people can draw a correlation because that was the ambition. I grew up with a chair that looked exactly like that, and it was bought at an affordable price. It had a back just like that, and it didn't have a doorstop at the bottom. Each piece in the collection has a signifier that lets you know it's 2018, not the 1800s. The kid buying my Nike shoes on the secondary market, listening to Playboy Cardi's album, also knowing that the chair is from the 1800s and that other people riffed on it, and, it, and that it's also a Swedish and American tradition, opening that conversation on a design platform like Hypebeast is my job as a designer. That was my point. So it's no surprise. I'm a fan of Virgil. I may be a bit biased here, but uh, I, I, I love the concept. I love the collection. Uh, and I really like the idea that he is making hyped furniture. He's going to bring hype culture to furniture and, and it's going to be a hyped item. All of these will be hyped items likely reselling. Um, and that's something previously really unseen, at least in streetwear culture. And, uh, so I love that he's communicating a message and clearly people are listening, they're tuned in and they love and adore him for it. Um, and, and that's all, you know, I love that. I love that entirely. But what's interesting here is the concept that this article introduced to me or the, you know, the question, the thoughts that it invoked and, and just brought up in my mind that you can have someone that goes to buy a chair just for no other reason that their chair broke at home. And then you have someone that goes to buy a chair because they want to create an aesthetic or an atmosphere in a certain room of their house. They maybe even want the chair as a usable art piece, similar to how clothing is wearable art, you know, and, um, and so you can have the same chair, and someone can be like, yeah, fuck it, it's a chair, I'm gonna sit my ass in it, I'm gonna fucking fart on it, I'm gonna do all that shit, I don't give a fuck, my kids are gonna stand on it, my kid's likely gonna jump off this, and fucking, you know, onto his little brother, and shit like that, I don't give a fuck, you know, give me a chair, and then there's someone who goes in there that is really looking for, yeah, a usable art piece. And I love that. I love that duality. Um, and just the concept that he introduces with the doorknob, the mention of the doorknob in this article. Like some people may see it, you know, they don't even notice it until it's broken. They see it as an everyday object. And we have these things that are basic in our lives, right? doors, fucking, you know, doorknobs, lights, uh, lamps, all of that, uh, closet doors, fans, etc. that we don't think of really because they're just basic design. We don't really, we don't really care too much for the design, but then it, on a, on a surface level, we don't, but then once you take an artistic development process to that, ba that otherwise basic piece of furniture, uh, and then you, you just try to recreate it and reinvent it. I don't know. It's admirable because like you, you take a basic object, you reinvent it with an art, with your artistic palette, your artistic taste added, and then reintroduce it to the world as art. And I get that some people see that as it's, it's ironic or foolish because a chair is to them nothing more than a chair. Um, but the whole, the whole thought process that this collaboration with Ikea is really, this perspective that it's giving me um, is, is fascinating. And I look forward to exploring that even more. Those are, these are just some initial thoughts. 
Um, and just kind of me rambling now, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm extremely excited for the collection, and um, I don't know. I, I'm I love what Virgil's doing. Uh, I get that. So that's the thing with the criticism on the rugs and stuff like that. If you guys haven't seen it, go to Virgil's Instagram if you're interested. You can check out photos uh, of a lot of the collection, and uh, and likely IKEA's Instagram as well. I would imagine. Um, I can't confirm that though, but I get the criticism, and to some people, it is lazy design just because it is so simple. You can create a green rug, and what did he put? I believe he it was a green rug with white text that said "wet grass," and so it. it to some people, that seems like extremely lazy design. It's just putting text on a rug, a colored rug, and selling it because you're a well-known designer and you create hype product. And, and you draw customer interest, which then creates hype product, right? Um, and I get that. And they're not wrong. The people that see this as hyped or uninspired, they're not wrong. But they're not what matters in this, right? Like, so the way I look at it is on the surface level, you can call it lazy design. But what Virgil is doing is he's putting his language in the product. He's communicating. He's trying to communicate a message. It's it's based in irony. And the only this only matters to those that are getting the message to anyone that is not getting the message, they can completely disregard it. Sure, call it uninspired, call it trash, whatever, right? All that matters is the people that are getting the message that are, it, that it is, the product is provoking thought in them. Because these are the people who his work will inspire in the future. And then they will take what they've learned from him and from his product, his design language, implement it and twist it in their artistic, you know, recreate it and just put it out in their artistic way and i don't know it'll create this beautiful cycle that is not meant for the people that are you know just that that don't care about the product basically and uh so i don't know i'm one of those people that's fascinated even if it is a very basic rug i'm going to take virgil on his word and look into it and really just analyze it and see if it it draws interest or what thoughts it invokes and um and appreciate it for that because at the end of the day that's what it's worth to me um so i don't know i've I've rambled i've rambled long enough on the topic i'm i'm obviously a huge fan of virgil a huge fan of this collection and uh i look forward to seeing how it performs i don't really want a piece in particular but um just Virgil's whole design ethos is fascinating to me and a huge inspiration. So I definitely wanted to cover that and uh, expound on it. So now staying in Virgil Abloh news, um, he recently this past, what was it? It was just today, earlier today, Monday, um, he released his Apple or he premiered his Apple music show um, called Televised Radio. So according to an exclusive by Vogue, Abloh's uh, Apple Music Beats One radio show will debut Monday 18th, Monday, June 18th at 10 a.m. titled Televised Radio. The program will be recorded in Paris at Louis Vuitton's Altair. The channel will be an audio mood board of sorts, which I think is a fire description, um, with new music played alongside classic hits and plenty of guest contributors being invited into the studio to for discussions about art, design, fashion, and music, according to the publication. Uh, Larry Jackson, Apple Music's content head, took to Louis Vuitton's Paris headquarters to tease some big news. In an Instagram post, Jackson announced, uh, hinted at a forthcoming radio show starring none other than Louis Vuitton's men, men's artistic director, Virgil Abloh. The accompanying photo sees Jackson and Abloh standing next to DJ Pedro Cavalier, uh, surrounded by sound equipment arranged on an LV monogram carpet. Abloh himself has yet to confirm the news, but this story... So that's a bit of an old article, but it is live. So if you guys do have Apple Music or you want to check it out, um, 
I, be, I believe it's available on demand. And if you're a fan of it, I, I like putting on the, uh, the, they're not necessarily playlists. They're like radio shows with a little bit of dialogue in between, uh, unique dialogue, depending on the host. And, uh, and yeah, and they just play random music. Uh, some of it being very, uh, of the moment, newer music and some of it being exclusively like niche to that one individual or to a certain time period, whatever. Um, so it's like a modification of playlists is with a bit more personality is kind of how I view it. So if you're a fan of Virgil, you have Apple Music. I don't see why why you wouldn't. So it's there if you guys are interested. And um, with that being said, let's get into the closing article. Being a article answering the question, can you catch up on lost sleep? So you know how it goes. On Monday, you get a little bit behind at work. On Tuesday, you need to take your car to the shop. On Wednesday, you're meeting with friends. And by Thursday and Friday, you're so backed up that you've got to sacrifice something. And nine times out of ten, it's your sleep schedule. At least you can catch up on your exhaustion by sleeping until noon on Saturday. Or can you? Well, that all depends on how you look at it. So they call it sleep debt. And most people in the United States owe big. It will grow over time, miss two hours on Monday night, and Tuesday might be okay. But keep it up, and by Friday, you'll be the walking dead. Uh, What's more, sleep debt occurs what you might call sleep interest. In other words, if you get six of your eight on Thursday night, and you try to catch up by getting ten on Friday, you'll still end up in the red. Uh, It's certainly true that paying off the debt is an uphill battle, even if you don't stay up for 11 days straight. In one study carried out at Harvard Medical School, researchers put nine participants on a grueling sleep schedule. Instead of a 24-hour day, they lived on a 43-hour clock, staying awake for 33 long hours and sleeping for 10. They found that just after, just after their extra-long snoozes, the participants operated at top capacity, but after about six hours, their sleep debts came back to haunt them. Although the fact that their circadian rhythms were at their peak in the late afternoon, did a bit to mask their deteriorating mind states, it was clear that any beneficial effects from their sleep were a stopgap at best. There's a reason for the researchers researchers choosing 43 hours on their experiment. Uh, They wanted to address the extra long hours that many many physicians and other people on shift work would have to deal with. You certainly don't want to get the surgeon who's on on one hour of sleep. Um, the National Sleep Foundation doesn't recommend racking up sleep debt precisely because it's so hard to pay off, but a more recent study emphasizes that while periods of sleep deprivation followed by generous amounts of sleeping in is an, uh, followed by general amounts of generous amounts of sleeping in isn't ideal, it's better than just staying sleep deprived. Uh, instead of looking at day-to-day function, this study led by to Jorn Abstorn, fucking, I, <laughs> that name is not something I'm trying to read right now, but just know it starts with a T, the, the first name's with a T, the last name's with an A, um, very foreign, I'll, I'll tell you that, very foreign, uh, focused on mortality, it showed that adults who had five hours of sleep or fewer per night had a 65% higher mortality rate than those who got six to seven hours. But when you accounted for the ones who caught up on their sleep on the weekend, that difference disappeared entirely. So while it may hobble your day-to-day brain function, strings of late nights followed by a couple of late mornings won't interfere with your ability to live a long life. So if you're running a high sleep debt, and if, you're, and if you live in a Western nation, you probably are, the good news is that while getting sleep, while getting a sleep debt paid in full is difficult, it isn't impossible. Speaking with Scientific American Lawrence J. Epstein of the Harvard-affiliated Sleep Health Centers gave some advice for balancing your bedtime budget. Here's a quick tutorial. Uh, One, take your time. It might be a few months before you're sleeping normally, so be patient. Two, go to bed when you're tired. Seems obvious, but hold yourself to that. Uh, Three, wake up on your own time. No alarm clocks allowed. Four, expect to sleep a while. You'll probably do about 10 hours a night at first. 
five, let your body decide. As time goes by, you should fall into a more regular rhythm. So now, if you have an actual job you have to go to in the morning, that prescription might be tough. In that case, focus on the go-to-bed-when-you're-tired rule and plan for earlier bedtimes for a couple of months. You still might be able to pull it off. It's certainly worth the try to earn your sleep credit back. So sleep, man, it's something I've been conflicted. I've, I've had such a conflicted relationship with throughout my entire life because sleep always sounds like shit to me. I, I never... For the most part, and I think I'm in the minority in that, in that I don't often look forward to sleep just because it's to me, it represents a lack of productivity, I guess, or just that's the way my mind associates it. Um, Because you constantly hear and, and maybe it's part of my mind being polluted by just messaging throughout entertainment and throughout my entire life of like, you know, you work hard, you you hear about those people um, waking up at fucking four in the morning after five hours of sleep, if that, and then you, you also, there are, you're conscious that there are people out there who they are, there's just more demanded of them, you know, you, I, I often think of a single mother that is, you know, raising two kids, and, you know, she's also working, say, two two jobs or, or something of that nature right um and and there's just so much demanded of her and she's forced to get the most that she can out of a five hours you know out of an allotted five hours of sleep and she functions not great but she makes it happen and so I don't know I mean I've always admired that perceived toughness I guess that comes with a lack of sleep and also the, um, just like the whole concept of, you know, you're up chasing your dreams, you're up making things happen for yourself. And, um, but I know that sleep is a huge part of that system. And so there, there goes the conflict. I've never really looked forward to sleep. Very few times have I laid down and been like, fuck yeah, this is what I need. And then knock out. Like if I need sleep that bad, I'll usually lay down and then just knock out immediately. But uh, I never really look forward to it. I often think of it as like, I don't know, in my mind, even when I'm laying there, I'm like, fuck, well, I'm going to lay down now in the same spot for at least six hours and do nothing with my life. <laughs> and uh, for sure, it's a bleak way to look at it. Um, but I don't know, I can't help. It's definitely some fuckery that's, you know, that that is my that has resulted in my twisted perception of it, but I don't know, man, and then once you're sleeping, or at least for me, once I'm sleeping, it's glorious, right, once you're asleep, and then the alarm goes off, you're like, motherfuck that shit, right, and you just want to stay asleep, you just, you know, fucking even 10 more minutes, 30 more minutes sounds like fucking the best thing ever, and so I don't know, man, I mean, Reading that and then also with the recent uh, Joe Rogan podcast with a sleep expert, um, he was like some sort of sleep neurologist or, you know, he, he specialized in studying sleep. And in that episode, you watch that episode, it'll fuck you up. You listen to that episode, it's going to fuck you up. Uh, caution, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys now, just just listen to it with caution. But uh, it's it's a worthy listen because it's extremely informational and he emphasizes what what I really took from it is that he emphasizes that you get at least seven to eight hours of sleep, especially if you are in school and especially if you're an athlete. And he said that there are uh, detrimental effects if you get under seven hours of sleep and you're continuously working out, you're getting like a what a fucking I forget the statistic, but your the work that you're putting in through your workouts are massively cut down by a lack of sleep because they, obviously that's your body's time to rebuild. So it makes sense, but it's just such a conflicting idea for me, man. Um, knowing that it's essential and knowing that, you know, even from experience, when I've gotten on a consistent cycle, you know, things just work out better. But a system has never appealed to me in, in most senses. Systems and, and just a consistency, I've never been good at it. 
And um, I don't know. So how are you guys with sleep? You know, do you average? I think most people function with around five to six on average. Um, But if I get more than that, I'll do it. It'll feel guilty. But uh, it's also, I don't know, man. I'm very conflicted on the idea. Um, So, yeah, what's your guys' perception of sleep? Do you look forward to it? Do you view it as I do? And, and again, I think I'm in the minority with that, viewing it as just unproductive time. And just I could be doing so much more with my time. Um, I don't know. So you guys let me know. How do you view sleep? Or just let that article induce thought. Like, just focus on the idea. How do you view sleep? Um, and And is your schedule fucked up? Can you, you know, can you focus on those, what, five recommendations to try and get back on a natural rhythm? I think it all comes back down to just regulating and allowing your body back onto a consistent cycle. So if you're getting five hours, get a consistent five hours. Not that that's good. Try and get six or seven. But, you know, consistency is key rather than, fuck, I only got three hours last night um, and then fucking, you know, seven hours the next night. I would imagine that the five consistent hours would be better in that situation. But I don't know. Just hoping to get you guys thinking about some random shit. Because Lord knows that's what I love. is just random shit. Um, and yeah, just know that I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. And um, I'll be talking to you guys on the next episode. Peace.